Welcome to the very first episode of the Doctor Stoppage Podcast. We've got Keelan McNamara and myself, Tanai Shah, and we're ready to kick things off. First episode, we're going to talk about a little bit of UFC 268 recap. What a great event. Looking ahead to Holloway versus Rodriguez, plan versus Canelo, and we've made a nice top five list for you guys as well. Keelan, how's your week been? How have the fights and how are you doing in general? Dude, I am good. Um, I'm alive. I thrive. And I am very much not quite alive from UFC 268. Up at 6 a.m. being the UK time. You know how we roll over it's here. But it, but it was worth it. It's a tough life out here being a fan on these ends. Um, definitely worth it, though. Insane card from top to bottom. As I'm sure our viewers know from watching the card with us. Um absolutely insane card one of the best cards of the year by far and yeah looking forward to breaking it down right now yep so let's go over some good finishes and solid performances before we talk about the main three fights um we had chris barnett who looks like the most unathletic person probably on the whole roster but is the exact opposite spinning spinning wheel kick and then he has a flip what did you make of that whole thing that was a beautiful spectacle to watch. Um, like you said, don't get me wrong, I love my boy Chris Barnett, but not the finish that I expected to see. You know, caught the leg, brought came around with a spinning hook kick, and it was just absolutely unbelievable. He is now up there with Joaquin Buckley for the best spinning knockout of all time. There is no question about that. So mad respect to Chris Barnett. Man's yeah. his opportunity. The thing that shocks me the most about him is the speed. If you look at him, you don't think he's that fast, but he is that fast, and that helps a lot, a lot at heavyweight. Very much so. Yep. Then we had Ian Gary. You know a lot about him, the Irishman. What do you make of his performance and what he said on the mic? I have to admit, I'm impressed. Um, you know, there was a lot of pressure on Ian Gary coming into this. You know, very obvious comparisons that will be made, but he took his opportunity really well, thought he had a very good – well, the fight only lasted a round, but the round that it did last, thought he looked very good, very composed, very measured. You know, stepped back, slipped under the shot, mm. landed that shot beautifully. Clean. Very, very, very clean, very methodical, very surgeon-like. And yeah, he got a great win. I think he's very good in the mic. I think he has to be very careful not to become like McGregor, though, just like a carbon copy. If he keeps doing his own style and his own thoughts, then absolutely I'm here for it because the guy is very good on the mic. My only thing is with Ian Gary, and it's not the biggest problem to have in the world, but it is worth mentioning. You know, he's got this thing going on now with the customized clothing and the words in the back of his snooker-like vest and that kind of stuff. Me, personally, I'm not about that. I understand a lot of people are. Um, I just think he's got a very fine threshold that he needs to know how to traverse very carefully but i mean all in all amazing performance big congrats to the boy Ian gary yeah definitely i like what dana said in the post-fight interview they asked him about the comparisons between mcgregor and ian gary he said there'll never be another conor mcgregor but ian gary if he does what he does and keeps winning he'll have his own path and his own success because he has the backing of the people and especially the irish people absolutely so good on that. Then we had Imavov dominating Edmund Shabazian for two rounds and getting the finish. Brutal crucifix. What do you think of that? 
Yeah, I mean you're. I mean you couldn't have hit the nail on the head any better. Salvage crucifix to finish a really tough guy in Edmund Shabazian. I mean, let's not forget about eighteen months ago we were talking about Edmund Shabazian as a potential title contender. So be under no illusion, this was no easy fight here. But the finish on the crucifix, especially, was just absolutely savage. Beat him up for two rounds straight, and yeah, it was a good stoppage when it happened, but. I mean, Edmund Shabazian has fallen far and fallen fast. I mean, credit to um, credit to him for the knockouts and the finish. Just really, really well done. Took his opportunity, but Shabazian's really got to get back going again because he is gonna. He can't fall much further. It's so hard when someone comes into the UFC when they're so young and so inexperienced. Because when you enter that top five, top ten, and now even the top fifteen, it gets that much more competitive. And I usually don't mind watching the violence, but when he had him in the crucifix, I really didn't enjoy it at all. I was disgusted, honestly. Yeah. And, That's a um, good Yeah. And re- regarding Imovov, I'll tell you this one funny thing I saw on Instagram. Francis Ngannou walking past um, Cyril Gan and his old coach and because Imovov fights on that team and he didn't acknowledge them at all. So that was pretty, pretty nuts from Ngannou. Like the people who got them to the dance, he just walk right past them oh francis this is yeah. not a good look for you um doesn't matter man whoever wins do you really want to piss off cyril gan though mm, i don't know yeah i, I think know. he's the most skilled fighter in that division along with unquestionably unquestionably yes and they were saying sorry to go on about Imovov and cyril gan but they were saying that the movement that forget their coach's name out of france but they have similar movement. They touch you and then they move out of your way and then you keep getting annoyed just like Derek Lewis is and that's where you get your openings and you can get the finish or dominate your opponent. So, Yeah, it's something... I mean, this obviously isn't the point that we're talking about, but it's worth mentioning why we're here. Yeah. Something Cyril Gan does to such unbelievable effect and it's why he knocked out Derek Lewis so easily. They've got that real sort of ticky-taka, get in and get mm. out and he could use it very well against uh, Francis Ngannou yeah. but time will tell time will tell and then Chris Curtis with a big upset over Phil Hawes ruined a bunch of my parlays personally um, Phil Hawes everyone's talking about his he's such a big prospect but Chris Curtis the experience and the solid kickbox and landed the kill shot dude Chris Curtis looked I mean, to be honest with you, I can't necessarily say he looked good because yeah. he got beat the fuck up for most of the rounds. Mm-hmm. But um, for whatever reason, the winds of change were blowing when Chris Curtis was in the octagon. He landed that shot badly, wobbled Phil Hawes, and the commentary team lost their mind, and rightfully so. Yeah. Chris Curtis went in, got the kill shot, and stunned MSG, by the way. Yep. Huge respect to Chris Curtis. Like he said in his post-fight interview, he's been out here for 11 years trying to get this opportunity, and he finally got it. So big respect to him. Yep. I mean, well well earned and well done. He got the bonus like he deserved it. Oh, and then we had Bobby Green welcoming Ally Quinto, putting him away in less than two and a half minutes, clean boxing like he always does, and Al couldn't do much. Yeah, this was a stupid bet on my part. Uh, for whatever reason, I thought Ali Aquino was actually going to win this. You didn't watch um, our other betting show. You clearly yeah, saw I, mean, <laughs> no, I, I actually, I did actually see that, but for whatever reason, yeah. something told me to bet against it. I 
guys, if you learn anything from me, don't bet against our guys. I did it and I got burned, so don't do that. Yeah, I, I was talking to someone about this and I said this fight was like a kid who was getting held back by the hand and they were trying to swing. <laughs> That's exactly what yeah. it was like when I couldn't touch Bobby Green. Uh, you know, Bobby Green fought really, really well. Very, very smooth, very crisp. Um, you know, anytime Al landed anything, it just, it, it looked like a bullet bouncing off a tank. Yeah. It just had no effect at all. And that one, two to knock out Al was absolutely on the left, right, straight on yep. the jaw. And Al was just never getting up again. Yeah. Credit to Green, amazing technical knockout. Yeah, big time ring rust shown by Ally Quinta, who previously fought for a title. I love when Bobby Green does the Mayweather shoulder roll. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and then just looking backwards as if nothing's happened. Yeah, exactly. He's a little bit of a showboat and a talker, too, so good on him. Then finally, the main um, prelim, we had Alex Pajeda, the man who beat Izzy a couple times in kickboxing. He landed the perfect flying knee on Mitchellitis. Sorry, I can't say his name too great. but So the first round went a little – Mitchellitis came out, and he wrestled Pajeda. Pajeda did well enough. He got taken down, but he got back on his feet. And then they clinch for a little bit. Second round starts, 18 seconds and gets his timing, and he's, boom, he's gone. Oh, my God. Alex Pereira is a problem for middleweight. <laughs> and I think Israel Adesanya is going to start having nightmares pretty soon. Because yeah. like Joe Rogan said, and he's, you know, everything Joe Rogan does is a meme now. We know this. But he <laughs> is, it is like Alex Pereira is made of mahogany or something like that. Yep. You know, <laughs> First round didn't actually go the way I expected. Um, you know, Mitchellitis did a very good job of the wrestling, neutralizing Pajera's kickboxing threats to his credit, won the first round, more importantly. But Pajera came out like a demon at the beginning of the second, landed a couple of really good shots, and landed one of the most vicious flying knees I've ever seen that knocked Mitchellitis out cold, unconscious, separated him from all normality pretty much uh, if Alex Pereira can work in his wrestling and his ground game he is gonna wipe out the top of middleweight I really think he is ladies and gentlemen you've been put on notice Alex Pereira is here and he's coming for Israel Adesanya and guess who's in his corner Glover Teixeira so that's gonna help his grappling more than anything so good on him I mean he got his first UFC when people put people on notice unbelievable very like, exciting stuff very impressed. All right, so we talked about some awesome performances, and that was just the prelims and the early prelims, so you can imagine how good the card was overall. We kicked off with Justin Gaethje and Michael Chandler, but we'll come back to that. We had a couple of other good ones with Shane Burgess and Billy Q. Would have been fight of the night on any other night, in my opinion, if it weren't for Gaethje and Chandler. What do you think about that? Yeah, this was a great fight. Um. First of all, let me say, while well, I've got it in my head, respect to Billy Quarantine. Billy too. yep, absolutely. Boxing has got so good. You know, the guy's normally a wrestler who punches for volume, a little bit akin to Colby Covington in terms of the game plan. But he looked so good against an actual boxer in Shane Burgos. I mean, I was watching this fight for the first two rounds, and I thought Shane Burgos is getting tied badly. You know, I was actually surprised at how badly he was getting beat up. You know, he, he got a nasty cut under, I think it was his right eye. 
there's blood coming out of his nose. I'm thinking, how is this happening? Because I did not see this coming at all. But Shane Burgos, to his credit, got back into it. Looked really, really good from the second round onwards. But I got to be honest, my main point of intrigue here is towards Billy Quarantillo. You know, I actually do, the people I talked to about this card, very few of them had Quarantillo winning or even looking remotely good. And he earned a lot of fans from this card. So massive respect to Billy Q. Yep. Shane did what he needed to do, but Billy Quarantillo won in the eyes and the hearts of many. Yeah, 100%. That first round was so huge for Billy Q. And then he did what he usually does is just show heart. Because then Shane yeah. Burgess got his timing down a little bit. And Burgess is the more skilled fighter and the better boxer, especially. So he had the win. But Shane, I, re- I was really impressed that he didn't stray away from being composed and relying on his skill instead of just winging punches. Because that's easy to do when you're getting tagged, especially in the open round. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, Shane Burgos is by far the more skilled stand-up fighter as well. And that's what makes it all the more impe- impressive for Billy Q that he could take it to someone like Shane Burgos. That's why Billy Q's got so many new fans. Like I said, credit to Shane Burgos, but respect and reputation very much go to Billy Quarantillo. Absolutely. Then we had the 40-year-old former champ, Frankie Edgar, taking on... The young but well-versed Marlon Vera. I mean, Frankie Edgar, I think, looked great in the first round and a half. I would say he was he was a faster guy. You wouldn't think he was the one who was 40 years old. But then Vera grew grew on into the fight and then landing that beautiful Anderson Silva-esque front kick to the face. Yeah. What did you make uh, of that whole thing, man? Dude, this was a great, great fight. Um, realistically worthy of headlining a fight night, probably on its own now. And yeah, Frankie Edgar looked unbelievable. Came out, looked strong, looked fresh. La- a bit like Billy Q against Shane Burgos, landing on the experienced striker. And that's what surprised me again. You know, Frankie Edgar's only five foot six, but he, came out and he took it to Cheeto Vera. And there were a couple of occasions where he had him in a little bit of trouble too. Uh, so massive respect to Frankie Edgar. Looked as good as he ever has, certainly in his last four or five fights. So big, big respect to Frankie, the answer, Edgar. Uh, but Cheeto Vera. Cheeto Vera looked really, really good. And he showed just why he is as good of a stand-up fighter as he is. Yeah. You know, started to tag Edgar quite badly halfway through the second round, I think. Up until then, I think it was still pretty even. But from the second half of the second round onwards, the momentum really swayed towards Cheeto. Mm-hmm. And then in the third round, that front kick. I mean, have you seen the picture of the moment yep. it lasted? Good Lord, what a front kick. Absolutely monstrous. Anderson Silva-esque, as you say. Leoto Machida-esque too. A uh, huge respect to Cheeto Vera because this is a big, big win on his resume. But again, a bit like Billy Q, so much respect to Frankie Edgar too. No one thought he'd be able to tough it out against Cheeto Vera the way he did for as long as he did. But at the end of the day, he's still as good as he always was. Class never uh, fades away. So both guys come away with their stock rising more than it did before. Uh, Cheeto Vera got the W, but Frankie won more hearts and minds too. Yeah, 100%. Frankie Edgar has some nice hooks, man. He can really land those and really fast, too. And, yeah, Cheeto Vera did what he does, and 
he got a spectacular finish. Like, that's not easy to do. I don't care if it's the other guy's on his way out, if he's 40 years old or not. That's Frankie Edgar. And I like that you mentioned that this fight could have headlined any other um, fight night. We had fucking Aspen Ladd and all that bullshit going on the last couple of, last month or so. Like, why not put these, like, really good fights on those, you know? And I would have done well, too. Very well. I mean, yeah, that was just annoying for two or three weeks, just having those disasters or let's just say not so high ranked or competitive fights up top. I agree with you. Absolutely. Yep. And to open the main car, we had obviously probably the best fight, best round I've ever seen as the first round with Justin Gaethje and Michael Chandler. Chandler came out guns blazing, dude. Oh my God. And then Gaethje got tagged a little bit and then Gaethje does what he does. He attacked that lead leg took it out of the equation, and then he started landing his shots. So that was an awesome fight, as advertised, and respect to both men. Like, these first three fights we've talked about, I think all of them, the loser has gained more respect than they ever had before. Even, you know, even though they couldn't get the job done, they performed so well that they have our respect and a lot of fans' respect. So awesome fight, and let's hear your thoughts on that. Oh my God, what a fight, ladies and gentlemen. This is round one of this fight is round of the year. Um, I don't care if you mention Marab Devashvili uh, in his last fight. This is the round of the year. I, I would you say know, maybe another one that comes close is Volk Ortega round three or four, was it? Four, right? When you got the submission. Possibly, but I'm but I don't think it beats it either. Yeah, on excitement alone, this is the round of the year, um, and I will die on that hill, I don't care. Um, You know, this was like two tanks charging straight into each other. Neither guy took a step backwards, as they both promised would be the case. Um, Michael Chandler just came out looking to hit a home run with every punch he threw, as he always does. Um, You know, he had Gaethje backing up a little bit towards the end of the round, landing some decent shots. But Gaethje just does what Gaethje does, man. Uh, targeting that late leg, totally took it out of commission. By the end of the first round, pretty much, certainly yeah. in the first minute of the second. And then Gaethje just went to work in Chandler's face, absolutely brutalized him. Realistically, he should have knocked him out with some of the punches he was able to land. But by God, is Michael Chandler tough. I mean, sometimes t- too tough for his own good. But mm-hmm. still with blood pouring out of his face, beckoning him on, beckoning Justin Gaethje on, insanity. Huge. I mean, I, I can't even tell you how much I respect both guys for this. I'll leave it to your imagination. But this is one of the fights of the year. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, both of them hit so hard, but they also showed what kind of a chin and heart they have. Because Chandler, if you see what he did to Dan Hooker. He probably landed a similar punch or similar level of power to Justin Gaethje in this one. Gaethje took a couple of steps back, but he didn't really go down. And then he started winning after that. And Chandler hit so hard. Like you said, he's trying to take you out in that first round. He's trying to get you out of the fucking octagon. That's how hard he's trying to hit you. And Gaethje also hit so hard. Look at what he's done to Tony Ferguson, Cowboy, you name him, Vic, Barbosa. That one punch lands or... His a couple of his punches land, and you can't take much more. You're taking steps back, but Michael Chandler, hands down, is walking towards him, egging on the crowd. So very entertaining. I think Chandler should have listened to his coach a little bit more when he said that 
dude, you are beating him to the punch. You're the faster guy, but do not like, you know, do not try to show off and do not get yourself tired like that. But unfortunately, yep, exactly. Cause he, he, he was the faster guy. Cause when they opened up, you could tell. And Gaethje did the opposite. He did listen to his coach and Trevor Whitman, like he always has to tell Justin Gaethje, you're trying to kill him with that punch. Please don't do that. Like, you know, make sure you land cleanly, not just super powerful because that makes you more tired and then makes you miss. So, yeah, either way, man, fire, close to being fire of the year, if not fire of the year, and definitely that first round is a round of probably the year and maybe the past two to five years as well. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, my last thing that I'm going to say in this before we move on, that uppercut by Gaethje nearly knocked Chandler out of the octagon and into yeah. the fourth. How hard did he hit him? And mm-hmm. he stayed... The fact that Michael Chandler is even alive after that uppercut yeah. is worth respect on its own, much less the fact that he kept going. So just unbelievable fight. Unbelievable. And, I mean, both those guys gave it everything. They had mentioned that, you know, both of them, they have a similar style, but they don't really like each other and things like that. But to see them hug it out right after the horn was also a great visual, you know, for the fans. I love when fighters acknowledge when they've faced somewhat their equal or someone who, you know, can put it out there like they do. Most definitely. I was going to ask you what's next for both those guys. Let's talk about Gaethje first. What do you think? For Gaethje, I think it has to be the winner of Poirier Oliveira. You know, he's just been been too good. You can't go down because it's totally unfair. So realistically, the only way is up for Gaethje. You know what's going to be a fight of the year. And by God, is the man earned it with that win over Chandler. So for me, it's a no-brainer. Justin Gaethje, winner of Charles Oliveira, Dustin Poirier. Yeah, I absolutely agree because Poirier beat him, but that was a really tight fight, and it was a few years ago. Oliveira would be a new opponent for Gaethje. Um, what about Chandler? Who do you think he faces here? Islam Makachev. Oh, no. No, dude, come on. He just lost two in a row, got beat like so bad in the last two fights. I'm not saying he's super one-sided or anything, but he just lost. Give him RDA. Give him RDA. No one's mentioning Benil Dariush since the Tony Ferguson fight. Do you give that to him? I would rather do that than Islam. I was thinking if Gaethje fights for the belt, Benil and Islam go at it because I think they'll have Is- uh, Benil weigh in for the championship fight in December. Yeah. So you give Dariush and Islam and Chandler and RDA. That's all. That's three versus four, five versus six. Tony Ferguson and Dan Hooker honestly would be a great matchup because they're both losing a little bit and very entertaining fighters but we can talk about that later but i think for michael chandler rda is the move yeah i mean i'm not mad at it don't get me wrong i think that'll be a great fight yeah. the problem with the ufc and with Dana white they have so many killers in this division that eventually you're gonna have to put the next to each other it's just yeah. unfortunate that michael chandler's fought a the champion and b justin freaking gaethje the problem is with makachev you can't hold him off much longer because he is on like an 11 12 fight win streak the thing with chandler is that chandler will fight anyone and it's something i respect him immeasurably for the problem is because of the position he's in, he can't go down too much and he can't go up too much either because he's lost two in a row. So realistically, it's either Benil Dariush, who's number three, 
or it's someone like RDA if you don't want to feed him Islam Makachev. So, I mean, in terms of the standing, if we're sticking purely to the standings, my pick would be Makachev. But if you don't want Chandler getting mauled by Makachev, then I'm pretty much open to whoever you want him to fight next. Yeah, I, I think RDA. All right, so sorry to all the listeners and the viewers. We had some technical difficulties on my end. And the last point we were talking about was Michael Chandler and who he should face. I think it should, should have been RDA. And Keelan was, was talking about him facing Islam or maybe Benil Dariush. Yeah, um, not mad at any of those. think they're all great options. All right. Then we can move on to the co-main event with the rematch between Thug Rose Nama Yunus and Willie Zhang. Great fight, lasted five rounds. I think Rose took it three to two. She once again had the better game plan and had the better combinations. I think once she found success in that first takedown that Willie couldn't get up, she hit, hit it at the perfect time in the last round. And she kept Whaley down for the rest of the fight, much like Jan versus Izzy in their fight. Yeah, um, first of all, amazing fight. Uh, not that we expected anything less. I had a 3-2 Whaley Zhang, actually. I don't. I think she should have walked away with the title. My reasoning is this. I had Whaley Zhang winning rounds 1, 2, and 3, and Rose 4 and 5. Uh, Whaley came out really good, very strong. My one issue with her in the last fight was that she was very flat-footed, and you could tell the Henry Cejudo influence in the footwork. She's a lot better, a lot looser, a lot quicker. Um, I think her leg kicks took a big impact on Rose in those first few rounds, mm -hmm. and the fact that she scored five takedowns in Rose as well, when she wasn't even getting close to one in the last fight, yep. that was huge for Whaley as well. Uh, she had about three minutes of control time over the five takedowns, which is very good. Admittedly, she didn't do as much as she could have with them, but it's still very impressive that she could. Credit to Rose, from the beginning of the fourth round, the fight was pretty much all her. Um, Wiley really didn't get back into it after that point. Um, some people were saying that round four, I think, was a 10 eight, No, it must have been round five was a 10 eight round no. because of the ground control, which it wasn't because there was control, but there was no damage at all. Uh, Whaley's butterfly guard was too good on the ground and nothing happened. Now, as I said, and I'm sh I know you'll disagree with me on this, but that's fine. Uh, I obviously had Whaley winning three to two for the first three rounds. I think what tipped it in the balance of your favor was that Whaley was too willing to fight off the ground instead of trying to get back up. It, I think you're right. After the first takedown, it felt as though for whatever reason, she was happy to just try and up kick Rose at any opportunity. Yeah. And that was not the right approach to take here. So I firmly think Whaley won three to two, but I can see why you scored a three to two as well. Exactly. I had three, four, five for Rose. And I think I three was a toss up. Yep, I think so too, but you got to beat the champ to get the belt, unfortunately, for the challengers. And that's why a little bit people and maybe myself swayed and gave the third round to Rose. But yeah, I mean, Wei Li wasn't too concerned about being on her back. She didn't try to get up. She didn't mind fighting from there. She didn't take a lot of damage or anything, but it's just not a great look when you're judging a fight. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, the thing is, as well, in the feet, especially coming in towards the end of the third round, Rose was getting a lot more success with that straight right over the top. And Whaley realized that she had no answer for it. So I think the second the fight hit the deck, like we both said, I think she was just content to try and fight off her back and throw up kicks in the hope of knocking Rose out. I think that sort of negativity is probably what swayed the judges and gave that third round to, I think it was two of the judges because it was a split decision. I I think if she'd have been more positive and gotten up off her back, I think we'd we'd be talking about a different result that I scored. Mm -hmm. But based on everything we've talked about, I can definitely understand why you went the way you did. Yep. And the judge you gave Rose 49-46. Oh, come come on. on. Come on. Not a hope in hell. Yeah, come on. It it was funny you mentioned Henry Cejudo and the influence he's had on Whaley on her little bit of her movement, little bit of her wrestling, little bit of her his haircut, everything. Yeah, the Henry Cejudo that kind of (laughs) Phoenix, Arizona way of fighting. But yeah, great fight, man. It's tough to face an opponent that's knocked you out with a pretty flashy and devastating way and really saying good on her for doing what she does and good on Rose for mounting back because we can both agree she lost the first two rounds. That's yeah. what champions do. So great fight and perfect way to kick off the third Trevor Whitman fight in Kamara Usman against Colby Covington. Another rematch, which the first one was five rounds, but Kamara Usman was able to get the finish. In this one, I thought Kamara was just going to blast him. Like the second round when he touched him up with those two left hooks, I thought Colby was going to be done. But dude, Colby won a couple of rounds after that. So- yeah. Um, yeah, this was a great, great fight. Um, Kamara Usman in those first two rounds looked like the best Kamara we've ever seen in some respects of his game. That second round, I'm not going to lie, I scored the second round 10 8 because of the two knockdowns. I know everybody said that in an earlier fight there were two knockdowns and it was still a 10-9. That doesn't mean this should have been. This should have been a 10-8 for two knockdowns, in my opinion, because that meets the criteria of the fight being close to being finished. Admittedly, Kamaru could have and should have dived in on those and maybe tried to finish Colby more, but still two great knockdowns. Um, I scored this 3-2 Kamaru. I think the right decision was reached. But I got to be honest, even though I have my own opinions on him, huge respect to Colby Covington. The guy showed so much heart and grit just to stay in this fight. Especially, I mean, if you get knocked down twice by Kamara Usman, you don't get up to get knocked down a third time. So to get up and fight back the way he did, I think he deserves a lot of respect. And regardless of his Donald Trump fanboy persona, I think he's gained a lot of new fans out of this as well. Yep. So credit to Kamara Usman, toughest fight he'll probably face at Wildsweight unless Kamzat comes up into the mix. But a lot of respect to Colby Covington too. He put in a great showing. Yeah, 100%. It's not easy, like you said, to get up after two bombs from Kamara Usman. And Colby Covington, man, you say whatever you want about the guy. He can fight. He has the, oh, yeah. one of the biggest hearts on the roster. And even his comments, I have no problem with what he does and says on the mic. Because it's not easy with the backlash he gets to go out there and perform. Like, it's not nice and it's not good to be disliked, you know. And he goes there every day. He says what he says on the mic. He does what he does. And the things that he said has gotten more money and more closer to the title fight so i can't knock a man for you know saying things that he thinks 
is going to get in there because he has to deal with a lot of shit like people like you and me just saying that you know he's an idiot like he does he says this he does that you know things like that so i have no problem you say whatever you want dude this is your business you're not offending me at all you might see a couple of things that offend some people but i don't care go get your money go get your belt when the time comes and dude you're a great fighter so keep at it and usman Dana White was saying he's the greatest welterweight of all time. I think he's one or two fights short of it, but he's close to being up there. Definitely number one pound for pound on the planet right now. Yeah. Um, the point that I'm going to touch on before we move on is this, because I absolutely love what you've just said, bro, about the whole persona of Colby Covington. That's really where I want to go with this. I actually really like what you said there because – at the end of the day, Colby Covington, when you take the MAGA hat and the suit and all that away, is actually a really nice guy. We saw it with Wei Zhang. We've seen it before. And realistically, yes. if, we're being, if we're being fair here, you know, Colby Covington only plays the game. He didn't make the rules of the game. Realistically, ever since Conor McGregor and the rise of social media trash talk, this has been the nature of the beast. I mean, Colby Covington if you remember before Brazil when he beat RDA he was pretty quiet humble went about his business and like he said he was on the verge of being cut what he did was he found an angle a bit like pro wrestling find the angle exploited the angle and to be honest with you if he's being hated then he has done his job very well I mean I mean, you can make steroid remarks about Kamaru Usman and that. That's fair game. You can make the remarks about his dad. That's that's neither here nor there. But if we're talking solely about playing the game and making people interested and making people buy, you know, the pay-per-view, you can't really knock what he brings because he's very, very good at what he does. And adding to that, he is a hell of a freaking fighter too. I will never criticize his fighting because I think he is one of the best welterweights on planet Earth. And to be honest with you, I don't knock his personality either because I don't think it is his personality. I think he's excellent at tapping into an alter ego. Mm -hmm. And what he does is as well, because Colin Covington's an intelligent guy. We all know this. You know, again, I'm not bringing politics into this because that's not what we're here to talk about. Love him, hate him. Donald Trump gets a lot of heat, okay? And he latched on to the heat in order to get eyes on him. You can't fault him for being smart enough to do that because that's just clever business, like you said tonight. So credit to Colby Covington because he put in a good showing, showed a lot of heart, showed his true self as well, and people respect him. As for the good conversation and the pound-for-pound conversation, more importantly, Kamaru's definitely pound-for-pound number one, but he's not the greatest welterweight of all time yet. He's definitely a good two fights short of that for me personally. He's definitely creeping up on it, but he's not there yet. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And yeah, I mean, we don't have fucking shit to say. Like, we don't have, we're not hired by ESPN or CBS or you name anything. We don't have to say that, oh, Colby is this and Colby's that. Like, honestly, he's not. Like, he says what he says, he does what he does. He's making more money. He's, Selling more pay-per-views, like you said. And good on him, man. He's a hell of a fighter. Keep doing what you do. Sometimes I get that buying energy sponsorship. Yeah, go for it. Get your money, you know. And like like Chael said, you mentioned Connor. I think Chael was the original, even before the social media thing. That there's no line. You're not crossing any lines by saying words, you know, to people at that level. Obviously, at a human level, you shouldn't be insulting people and this and that. But at the end of the day, those people are going in a cage and beating each other up. And 
the words should not be hurting them. Yeah, that's a good point. I do think, again, I'm not going to bring life into this because, again, it's not what we're here to discuss. But I do think, honestly, in, I have no problem bringing. Yeah, I, I do. I do think in 2021, people are incredibly sensitive, and I think they're. All, I think the reason Chael Sonnen worked so brilliantly back in like 2007, 2008 was because people were not as soft and people saw it for what it was and people loved it and people went along with it. Brazil's different because Brazilian people are fanatic about mixed martial arts. You got and back that, your guy and I understand why they were pissed. Exactly. And Anderson Silva's a god to the people of Brazil. Mm-hmm. So Chiel Sonnen was a genius in what he did and Colby Covington is just applying that in a different context. It's actually pretty genius yeah. when you think about it and you will give him the credit when you break it down for what it is. Yeah, he's not as smooth as Chael or Connor, but he's doing something well, man. He's getting his opportunity, and he's winning. More than anything, he's winning at his sport. We took some shine off Kamaru on that one, but obviously we did also mention that he's the pound-for-pound king. So what's next for these two? What do you think? Who does Colby get next? This is interesting. This is very, very interesting, actually. Because Colby Covington has called out Jorge Masvidal. And I actually really like that shout. I have to say, I genuinely do. You've got two of the biggest mouths and two of the biggest personalities at welterweight fighting each other, both from Florida, both who used to train at the same gym. I think that that fight writes itself. I think that's a pay-per-view headliner. I mean, maybe alongside the next Usman title fight, me and Komen. I really love that fight. Uh, to be honest with you, some people I've seen online have said comes up next for Colby. Sorry, lost my brain there for a second. Okay. I don't like that. I think that's way too much, way too soon. Uh, so for me, I'm going to stick with Jorge Masvidal. I think that's a great fight to make next. 100%. Hamzat does not deserve to fight Colby yet. Maybe a couple fights down the line, he'll be up there. Two, three fights, yet. yeah. Yep. I think, yep. I would say Colby to fight Jorge or even Leon if he loses. And even Gilbert Burns. You know, if Gilbert wants that title shot again against Kamaru, he's going to have to do a lot because he got dominated. Yeah. Colby Covington's a good stepping stone because I don't think he wants to fight his boy, Vicente Luque. And, but obviously the Masvidal fight's the best, the rivalry and everything. And I think the UFC is going to, if Jorge loses to Leon, I don't know how many con- um, fights Jorge has on his contract, but if he loses to Leon and then he loses to Colby, the UFC is going to be really happy because yeah. Jorge Masvidal has then lost his shine and he's no more going to demand that kind of money and they could you know, show him a path out of the UFC. Unfortunately, that's how the business works. Agreed. Jorge has been great in the last few years, performing well, good on the mic and everything. All respect to the man, but I think that's how the business is going to try to have him dealt with basically yeah i agree with you um i think it makes a lot of sense on a lot of levels and the guy who i'd give to usman you've actually just mentioned i would give him leon edwards 100%. if he gets past jorge that is in which we think he will see i would actually it's not often i ever say this i would actually do what the fighter suggested i mean i know you can't change it because contracts have been signed and things have been set in stone and that but if there was a way of doing it and if the fighters agreed to it, I, I would actually make these two fights for the same card, maybe uh, January of next year, open up the new year. 
co-main event Jorge Masvidal, Colby Covington, and then Leon Edwards, Kamaru Usman for the title. I think you solved all the problems in one there. Yeah, but I mean, they're already fighting Jorge. Yeah, I know. I know that is. But yeah, in an ideal world, we'd play it out like you said. Um. Yeah, but I think there's a good opportunity here. If Leon wins, he deserves a title shot. He's probably ten undefeated in a row. He's worked his way back to fight Kamaru Usman. And um, I think that could still happen on the same card. Here's why. So Leon gets past, past Jorge. Colby and Jorge do a whole show with the Ultimate Fighter probably around, what was it, this summer? Probably June, July, right? They they had that filming and released. I think so, yeah. Year. So, yeah, around springtime, summertime. And then Kamara Usman and Leon Edwards headline that card. So we've got what you wanted, but just probably five or six months down the line. That's and a great shot. That's going to be awesome. So much tension in the building with all four of them. I don't think like each other. Jorge and Kamaru, they didn't get along really well when they fought. Colby, I don't think gets along with any of them. And Leon and Jorge have their own thing, and which is going to be seen in December. And I'm sure it won't end there. So, yeah, I think that's a good move. I think that's an unbelievable move. I totally forgot about the Ultimate Fighter. I think that's an amazing idea. In fact, I think that's what they're going to do. Yeah. That's why I like to talk about the matchmaking. I think I'm all right at it, you know, with the timeline. Dana? Options. Let us know. Let us know. All right. So that was UFC 268. Absolute banger of a card worth $75. A little steep still, I think, at least at our age, but... It's pretty worth it. MSG was rocking and Halle Berry was there. So good on everyone who watched, who was there, who helped make the event. And yeah, great night all around. And then we move on to Max Holloway, my favorite fighter in the entire roster. Taking on Yair Rodriguez, a flashy motherfucker who has various ways to hate you, but he's been a little inactive and I don't think he matches up great against my boy. I got this nice sweatshirt on that says, bless yourself, limited edition. It's okay. He's going to win. Max, give us the sponsorship. Yep. We're, we, we're out here. We're doing this. Yeah, um, I, I like what you said there. I think this is going to be a one-sided pounding for Max Holloway. I really do. I think this is the worst possible stylistic matchup you could give Yair Rodriguez outside of the Korean zombie, realistically. You know, Max is going to come forward and Max is going to just smash him, I think, without boxing. The thing with Yair Rodriguez is that he's a counter striker. He's a little bit like Edson Barbosa in that way. You have to draw onto him, make a mistake, and then he punishes you. The problem is Max Holloway doesn't have to counter-strike and Max Holloway doesn't make mistakes either. I, I can see Max Holloway just doing what he did against Calvin Cater and yeah. draw on the side over... Is This this is a five-round fight in it because it's, it's headlining a card. Yeah. I can see this being five bloody rounds of Max Holloway beating Rodriguez mm-hmm. up with a few 10-8 rounds mixed into that too. Yeah, it's awesome that you mentioned that Calvin Cater fight to so this... Hoodie actually it says Abu Dhabi on it. It says the date and then it says 5042 on it. Jeez, that's, that's sick. A very unusual scorecard in any of the fights you've ever seen. No one gets multiple 10-8 rounds like that. And that's how but special Max does. 
but the blessed express will be back this Saturday and maybe perform like he did against Calvin Cater. I think it's Calvin Cater has better boxing than Yair Rodriguez, and I think Max could beat him up as bad, like you said, or even worse, and get a stoppage. You know, Max doesn't have that kind of knockout power, but his volume and his pressure and his skill is second to nobody in the UFC. Like his boxing, when he gets into a rhythm, we saw it against Ortega. We saw it against in the first few rounds against Volkanovski in the second fight. And then we saw it against Calvin Cater, obviously. That pressure, that pace he puts on you. Same thing he did to Aldo in both the fights. Once he gets going, man, it's so hard to stop. Only Volkanovski, with respect to the man, has been able to contain Max Holloway a little bit in recent times. I will say Yair has tools, you know, because he's a little bit flashy in things. Like, people don't see some of his kicks or punches or elbows coming in, so he but I don't think Max gets caught. He's not been knocked down ever in the UFC, and he's been here for probably eight years. So I don't think there's a chance for Yair to get a finish or land a strike yeah. to get Max out of there. And I don't know. I think, first off, respect to Max on taking that fight because he deserved the immediate shot anyway. And then he fought Cater, who's very dangerous, who actually has a lot of power, and now he's taking Yair. So good on Max, as always. But... Good on Yair, too, dude. You don't want to come back and face Max Max Holloway after probably two years off. And I don't know. I think the fight to be made or should have been made would have been Korean Zombie versus Max or Korean Zombie versus Yair, too, as well. Yeah. I, I mean, that was a fight of the year when they fought. But so it would, have made, it would have made a lot of sense. Let me just finish real quick. But I'm not complaining because it's Max Holloway fight week, so. Yeah, I mean, no one's ever going to complain. Are they? Oh, no, we have to watch Max Holloway fight. We didn't want that. You're never going to hear that because yeah. Max Holloway is amazing. Um, yeah, it's going to be a great fight. Um, I just don't see a path for the Korean zombie, or Korean zombie Yair Rodriguez. Um, I just think Max is far, far too good. You know, he's, in many people's eyes, he's arguably the greatest featherweight of all time. You can make that argument, not make that argument if you want. That's up to you. But it's just a great fight for Max. Stylistically, it's perfect for him. It's teed up for the home run, and I think he's going to get it. Yep, absolutely. So we'll see how that one plays out. We've got Big Ben Rothwell, Marcos, Shojiro, D. Lima on that card as a co-main. A couple of other good ones, Song Yudong, Julio Aris. Kevin Holland, Kyle Docks. I heard it was canceled, but I'm not sure. Is it? Um, I haven't heard anything about it being cancelled, so I would. It's on the I, card right now, so I'd assume it's still on. Yeah, so yeah, I love watching Kevin Holland, Dawkins, and his brother are both great as well. So we'll keep an eye on all of those. Shout out Chris Dawkins at heavyweight, by the way. Yep, he is the man. And um, yep, we'll have the betting show for you ready by Thursday, so stay tuned with that. Ian and Neil did a really good job. We went seven for eight with the picks. So that's awesome. Great on them. Ian actually made a really nice video breaking all those picks down as well. So we'll keep that momentum going and we'll move on to our top five list for the week. Or let me say, let's start, let's go with Canelo first. <clears throat> yep. Because he was more recent. So Canelo Alvarez, obviously the number one pound for pound boxer on the planet, took on Caleb Plant. I don't watch boxing too much unless it's a big name like Canelo, Lomachenko, Wilder, things like that. So I don't know a great deal about the skill and everything that it takes to get into the sport. I'm not saying I'm an expert in MMA, but I enjoy it a lot more and I watch it a lot more so I can talk about it. But either way, 
Canelo did what he does is what I'm hearing. I couldn't watch the entire fight, but I did watch the the highlights and I watched the finishing sequence. Eleventh round, he got the KO over Caleb Plant, mm-hmm. and yeah, he did what he does. I think Keelan can explain a little bit more on that. Yeah, um, typical Canelo Alvarez, you know, just a great, great performance against a very tough fighter in Caleb Sweet Hans Plant. Uh, first ever undisputed super middleweight, 168 pounds champion in boxing history. That's extremely impressive. I actually think in a technical manner of speaking, I would have to check this. He's the first fighter to hold all four titles since Joe Calzaki did back in the day. Shout out Joe Calzaki. That's my mom. A Welsh dragon, <laughs> unbelievable yeah. fighter uh, at middleweight, probably one of the greatest middleweights has ever been. Look mm-hmm. him up if you have never seen him because yeah. he was an elite fighter. I'll send you the link later tonight because you will enjoy it. Um, anyway, back to Canelo. Um, this was a great performance. Um, I did get to see most of it, thankfully. Um, very technical performance, very measured, a bit like his most recent fights especially the Rocky Fielding fight and the Billy Joe Saunders fight too. Um, Caleb Plant didn't offer much offensively. His plan was mostly to come in and try and frustrate Canelo into making a mistake and then capitalizing, which was never really going to happen because Canelo is just far too good. We all know this. Um, Canelo did some really good work through, well, most of his good work that he did throughout the fight was that left hook to the body. Uh, Caleb was covered up very well because he knew that was coming, but Canelo was just probing the defense, breaking him down a little bit, you know, breaking the gas tank, all that kind of stuff. And then by the 10th, then by the beginning of the ninth round, uh, definitely into the 10th, you could tell Caleb Plant was starting to go, you know, getting tired, um, some shots landed more upstairs into the body from Canelo. And, you know, Canelo hits like a truck. So imagine taking nine rounds of that. It ain't the easiest thing in the world. Um, Canelo broke him down excellently. By the end of the 10th, it was clear that one good shot was going to open up Caleb's defense. He'd just taken too much, really. And then in the, the 11th round, Canelo lands that hands of the body. C- Caleb plants really badly hurt. Falls to the canvas, gets up for the standing eight, but the fight's over, realistically. You know, you saw the finishing sequence too tonight. Mm-hmm. Canelo rushes over, lands that one-two head body. Caleb Plant nearly goes yeah. through the ropes. He gets back up and it's waved off. Canelo is just by a mile the number one boxer on the planet right now. He's far too good. Took the IBF title off of Caleb Plant and it's hard to see who stops him at this point. Saul Canelo Alvarez, number one. He is number one. I like that you mentioned that Caleb Plant was looking for mistakes from Canelo, but you can't capitalize on mistakes if the champion has very few. So that strategy is not going to work out. I I don't think, like you said, a lot of strategies are going to work out against Canelo Alvarez anymore. So great fight, great great night on that as well, I heard. And... um, yeah, and then we had uh, Kamaru Usman being saying all week because he's the number one uh, MMA fighter. He says, maybe I'll go over and fight Canelo in a boxing match. We don't have um, an idea, do we? Not at all. No, no, we don't. And to be honest with you, this is the most comfortable I will ever feel speaking on your behalf because I know we're the same on this. <laughs> 
Kamaru, if somehow you watch this recording before you potentially fight Canelo Alvarez, don't do it. There is time to walk out of this. You know, this is absolute madness. Um, Kamaru Usman thinks because he's been trained by Trevor Whitman and he's knocked some people out now that he can fight Canelo Alvarez. I am categorically telling you, you cannot. Canelo Alvarez is the elite of the elite of the elite at boxing. Pure hands, no kicks, nothing like that. He is the best at what he does. Admittedly, you're one of the best at what you do but there's levels to boxing and you aren't on his level and Canelo will hurt you badly. If you don't know what you're doing, ask broken eye orbital, uh, orbital bone, Billy Joe Saunders, ask Rocky Fielding after his ribs were tenderized for three rounds. You don't want the smoke. I am promising you that, you know, this opens up a much greater issue about fighter pay and all that kind of stuff. And we've got guys going over to get paydays so they can retire. And I am not criticizing that. These guys put every part of their body on the line anytime they fight and they deserve to get paid and they deserve to be able to retire in happiness. I am not criticizing that. But guys like Francis Ngannou, who's talked about going over to boxing, Junior Dos Santos, who I think is going over to boxing, and now Kamaru Usman wanting to fight Canelo Alvarez. I am telling you now, convincingly, it is a bad idea because it will not work. Yeah, I mean, look, we do not, we respect the work that Kamaru Usman's done in the office, in the cage, without a doubt. And the same goes with Canelo. If he enters a UFC octagon or an MMA cage, he's going to get beat up horribly. So, but yeah, the pay thing, I think that's the only reason that Kamara would call out someone like Canelo because... Oh, yeah. And Canelo says his bet like he always does. Payday, payday. He's right. And he's 100% right. So, like, I don't think Amar Usman would... Like, someone asked him, like, would you, just because you, you said you want to do this for the competition... Would you fight Canelo for um, charity? He's like, he laughed it off, and as he should. So you're going to fight Canelo. You better be making tens or hundreds of millions. Probably not a hundred, but tens, at least tens. It figures minimum. mm -hmm. And it's annoying, you know, just to listen to champions talking about moving over just because they're not getting money, especially because you're a champion. You're the pound for pound number one. And it's very clear that you're going to go over there just so you can get a nice bag. And that's not good. It's not a great look on the UFC. I don't know. I mean, people can agree with us. People cannot. But that's not a good look. And I don't think it ends well for Kamaru at all. But same goes for Canelo. Like, if he enters the octagon, which he would never, Kamaru Usman would eat him up. So, that's... Oh, there's no question. There is no debate whatsoever about that. Mm -hmm. Canelo is number one on the planet. And he's very strongly... at middleweight super middleweight in the all-time rankings he is in that conversation he goes into the octagon he's getting fucked up and fucked up badly he is aware of that i don't think kamaru is aware of how badly he will get tenderized if he fights canelo don't get me wrong kamaru go secure the bag i have no problem with that none of us no not one person of us will ever have an issue with you securing the bag at all with what you do, what you've been through, and what you stand for, you more than have earned the right to get that. 
but do not go in thinking you're going to beat Canelo because you will get knocked out and you will get a broken jaw from fighting Canelo because the guy hits like a truck and you cannot use your skills against him. And even the skills you have in your hands, you aren't even comparable. You just aren't. No disrespect. You simply aren't at that level. Yeah, exactly. No disrespect. In fact, I respect him for even saying that he wants a challenge. And I would never say to anybody that you sold out or you did this or you did that. Oh, never. I would do the same thing. Like we can all, we can all just sit on our computers and be like, dude, McGregor sold out for the money. This guy did this for the money. That person did that for the money. Like, dude, if anyone's throwing a couple million to one of us or a couple 20 mil, whatever, you name a number, we're not going to say no to anything. So I hate when people say that, you know, shame on you for selling out and taking the money. If you're not hurting someone, well, this is the fight game. You will hurt someone. But if you're not hurting somebody, I don't care. Get as much money as you want and go for it. Take care of your family and your more people than you can ever imagine. So, yeah, I mean, like if if I was offered $30 million, not even including sponsorship, mm-hmm. and someone said to me, Keenan, here's a check or whatever for $30 million, Go in and fight Saul Canelo Alvarez for all of his belts. Where do I sign? You give me three hundred dollars, I'll stand there. Or three hundred thousand dollars, or maybe yeah, three hundred thousand dollars would do a lot for me right now. Three hundred thousand dollars, I'll take one to the jaw. As long as I. I was gonna say you're gonna take a shot from Canelo for three hundred. Three hundred thousand, sorry, but that would be. I would take that shot as long as I know I'm gonna recover. Yeah. Exactly. So I can't blame anybody for chasing the bag. No, and it's never selling it either. That was my bad. That's a really good point you made. I am in no way accusing Kamaru Usman of selling out because he's one of the best representatives we have of our sport. The last thing this is is selling out. I don't think that's what it's about because it ain't. And even I'd say that for any athlete or any person, like if you're getting paid, go get paid, dude. You know, who are we to say anything? Like, go do your thing. Now, unless you actually like disrespect, hurt somebody, I have no comments on any of that. Like, go enjoy, make the exactly. money. You like, because if you or me or anybody like us have an opportunity to make that kind of money, we'll jump at it. It doesn't matter what it would be, I'll jump at it. Yeah, exactly. Like, if ESPN came to us mm-hmm. and said, Tonight, Keelan, we're going to give you whatever to do a show on our platform. Yeah. You think we're going to reject it out of some sort of principle? No. Exactly, yeah. That's how this works. Yeah, maybe we'll have to start talking shit about Colby, but if I'm getting paid a certain amount of money, I will. <laughs> or unless Colby pays us not to talk yeah. shit about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. That's when it gets interesting. But yeah, I mean, yeah. we're. In a, I like that you think the same, like a, on a similar level as I do in all these kinds of things. I don't like the whole PC stuff. I don't like when you did judge an athlete or any famous person for doing this or that because they're people at the end of the day, dude. We do the same thing. Yeah, if someone's getting their head bashed in to win yeah. a world title, who in the hell are we to criticize yeah, them for exactly. wanting to set themselves up for life? Uh-huh. You'll never hear me say that. So, perfect. Let's move on to the top five of the week. We need a nice intro for that. Maybe we'll work on it sometime, you know? fireworks i gotta get a little better at editing yeah nice top five with our logo (laughs) things like that so yep top five i was looking at um so we talked about a couple of rematches we had um usman covington and rose really young so i was look. i was thinking about maybe we can do a top five around that 
And I was looking for the word, like, if trilogy is three, what is two? And we came up with sequel. So good on Google for helping us out. Shout out Google. I could not think of a word. I was thinking, like, duology, double, uh, rematch, (laughs) but that just doesn't sound the same. So top five sequels in UFC history. Let's go for it, man. So we have a couple of similar ones, and you can start. Go ahead. Yeah. um, Do you want to start from the very top or from the very bottom? Um, let's start from the top. Yeah, 100%. That's how we can get over the similar ones. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Number one that Tanai and I both have, and it's amazing because we both have this as our number one, actually, is Nate Diaz and Conor McGregor. And, you know, I don't have to spend, I I can really spend 30 seconds talking about this because you guys know why this is such a great uh, sequel of fights that occurred. Uh, two of the best trash talkers in UFC history, two, two guys who went in, put it all on the line. McGregor got absolutely upset massively in the first fight, came back, uh, shattered Diaz's leg in the second, uh, got the decision, which no one thought he'd be able to do. No one thought he'd make it five rounds, especially a welterweight. And yeah, it's number one. Yeah, the personalities play so much into it. And anytime there's a McGregor event or Diaz is fighting, people are going to tune in. And they both clashed twice, and it was awesome. Like you said, the first one was an upset. Diaz capitalized on the cardio of Connor and the output that he had. And then McGregor worked on all those things, and then he got it done in the second one. Awesome majority decision. And that's a 1 1 tie. You can't ask for anything more besides a trilogy. So hopefully, we get it soon. Uh, moving on, number two, we both had one of my favorite personalities in the MMA of all time, Chael P. Sonnen, and he gave Anderson Silva his toughest test at the time because Anderson was untouchable or seemed like he was untouchable. And, yeah, it was just two, two, one great fight and one pretty quick night in the office for Anderson Silva, but it was just so big because Sonnen at that time was the king of trash talk, the biggest personality in the UFC and he made the most of it and he actually turned up and fought really well in the first one yeah um it's hard to build on what you said because you said it so well um everybody thought Chael son was this kind of clown um who was a decent average fighter but who was never going to be an elite fighter and he proved a lot of people wrong when he fought Anderson Silva at UFC 117 you know bullied Anderson Silva for four and a half rounds well actually four rounds yeah uh, four rounds in four minutes actually to be fair 24 of 25 minutes overall um if those 30 seconds go differently the history of the middleweight division in the UFC totally skews off course I mean one triangle from Anderson Silva saved him from being dominated by Chael Sonnen and even then he still was Second fight's a bit more of a low-key affair because Silva looked dominant. Uh, Chael just wasn't able to regain the magic. But that first fight, Chael Sonnen threw over 300 strikes against Anderson Silva, probably the greatest middleweight there's ever been. So amazing sequel of fights there and very deservedly number two. Yeah, and Anderson at that time, it was tough to land a strike on him and he landed 300, like you said. Oh, he was untouchable back then. And I... It was like probably one of the best and worst nights of Chael Sonnen's life in the same night in that first fight because he lit, he built it up so well. He insulted everything about Anderson and, and Brazil and like he does. He came up and turned up for four minutes and for five four rounds and four minutes 
got caught in that unfortunate triangle and then everything he had built up went crumbling down. Second fight, questionable on the finish still because obviously I'm a Chael fan, but was he on the ground or not? The referee says he wasn't, and that was that. That was the end of the fight. But Chael looked all right. He did a stupid uh, spinning back fist, really unlike his fight style or characteristic, and then Anderson just took advantage and finished him off right there. So either way, great sequel. And um, yeah, moving on. What do you have at number three? Number three, we have got one of the best welterweights there's ever been. Very much on my Mount Rushmore UFC welterweights. We have Matt Hughes and Frank Trigg. Um, again, don't have to justify this that much because people know what I'm talking about. First fight, unbelievable. Matt Hughes beats a very, very game Frank Trigg. Second fight, of course, Mario Yamasaki was refereeing it. An even more game, arguably, Frank Trigg um, hits Matt Hughes with a low blow. Yamasaki being Yamasaki doesn't call it, doesn't even see it. Matt Hughes is on the verge of getting tapped out by a rear naked choke. Does Matt Hughes get tapped out? No, he does not. He gets up out of the rear naked choke, runs across the octagon with Frank Trigg and slams him into the ground, gets a rear naked choke and beats him again. The stuff of dreams, the stuff of video games, the stuff of legend. Yep. Matt Hughes, an absolute legend. Mount Rushmore, probably number two or three right now in the welterweights of all time. And then Frank Trigg, so game, so aggressive, always fun to watch. At number three, I have John Jones versus Daniel Cormier. I know the second fight was um, a no contest because John tested positive for whatever substance it was. But that rivalry had so much heat in it. Like DC was the only one who was anywhere close to the level of John Jones at the time. He was running through people first at heavyweight, then at light heavyweight, because he didn't want to compete against his buddy, Cain Velasquez, in the UFC. So DC ran through his opponents, called a shot against John Jones, you know. What did he say? I forget exactly what he said, but that's how it started. I'm coming for you, boy. I'm in your wrestling bracket that you can never avoid me. And then they had a whole bust up, and so many words were said, and so many things were done. Jones won the first fight. Fairly dominant in five rounds, but DC held, like DC had his moments in that one. Second fight, DC was actually came in with a pretty decent game plan. He was, you know, doing some good damage to John, but then John just caught him with that perfect left high kick, and DC went down. And for a DC fan like me, unfortunately, he cried on the mic and stuff like that. Not fun to watch, but respect to both men man they put on a show for the fans at the time it was and still one of the best rivalries we've ever seen yeah very much so um you know two great great fights and two great fighters as well it's like john jones said you know dc made him better and he needed that in fact i think he still needs that so credit (laughs) to both of them um i think he literally could use with dc now more than ever My number four on our finalist of the greatest sequels there have ever been, Robbie Lawler and Rory McDonald. I forgot about that one. Now, this is weird because this is the inverse of Chael Sonnen and Anderson Silva. The first fight was a very dull affair. Robbie Lawler only won a decision because of a late takedown. And the second fight was anything but that. Probably the greatest welterweight fight there has ever been, ever. And probably one of the greatest fights there ever will be. And mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't I'm not even gonna insult that fight by talking about it. You guys know what it is, you've seen it, you've seen Robbie Lawler spitting blood and pointing to the center of the octagon. 
one of the greatest fights ever. I was in Boston when the fight happened. And I remember um, waking up the following morning and seeing it and thinking, God, this is just something else. Yeah. Uh, Robbie Lawler, Rory McDonald, don't have to say that much more. It fully deserves to be on this list. Yeah, that fight was probably one of the best fights I've ever seen, if not the best. I like the fact that both of their personalities came out so much in that fight. Like Robbie's the guy who's coming to take your head out. And then Rory's the guy who's just so silent, but he's going to kill you too. So that was my favorite part about the whole fight besides all the blood and violence. So great pick. I can't believe I missed that one. But at number four, I have Robert Whitaker versus Yoel Romero. First fight, actually both fights were really close, but Whitaker edged him out in both of them. And Raul Whitaker, he's such a well-rounded fighter. I love him. He's one of my favorite fighters on the roster for sure. And the first fight was close, but Whitaker got it done. Second fight, fight of the year of, I think, was it 2017? Either 17 or 18. Yeah, I can't remember. I think maybe 18 then. I can't remember exactly, but, dude, what a performance, man. Yoel had him hurt, but Robbie, I mean, Bobby Knuckles just comes back and he gets the job done and Awesome, awesome, awesome fight. On one leg, I think it was, too. Yep, on one leg. People forget that. Yeah, dude, Bobby Knuckles, the man. And so is Yoel. Like, look at him. He's so scary, and he can do what he wants. But, yeah, Whitaker, I had him winning both those fights as well, and good on him for getting those belts and doing what he does. Yeah, um, I mean, great, great picks. I'm not mad at that. Yoel Romero's actually built like that guy made of bricks from the Fantastic Four. It's, um, it's literally just came to me. He's, that's, not, that's... he's not quite mahogany, but... Oh, okay. oh, yeah, he's not quite Alex Pereira, who's yeah. a tree, but we'll yeah. take what we can get. My number five is actually the fight that we just talked about at the beginning of the episode, the main event of UFC 268. It is Kamaru Usman and Colby Covington. This is, this is interesting for being on this list because it's probably the most it's arguably the most hate-filled and sort of uh rhetoric charged rivalry on this list and um, i mean chelson and anderson silva was clever trash talking it wasn't necessarily hate-filled and spiteful mm-hmm. this very much is i mean again we talked about colby coming to not going to go back into that but this was a great, great sequel of fights. Um, that first fight is one of the best wildweight fights we've ever seen. Colby Covington had Usman hurt quite badly on a couple of occasions. Usman broke his jaw. And yes, he did technically break his jaw to win the fight. The second fight was still a great fight. Probably didn't live up to the first one, but still delivered in so many ways that it should have. Usman Covington, number five on the list. Can't argue with that one, man. I mean, the first one especially one of the best welterweight fights of all time. Second one I thought was fantastic too. Like just what both these men were able to do because both of them at a certain point were hurt and they both showed that they they should belong in that championship category at all times. So not going to complain about that. But at number five, I went with Brock Lesnar versus Frank Mir. Um, at first, I mean, obviously we didn't, I didn't watch that live we were probably too young, didn't know about the sport at all. But when I was going through the history books, um, I couldn't believe that Brock Lesnar was booked to fight Frank Mir in his first fight ever in the UFC. How are you going to give someone a fight against Frank Mir, who's an accomplished, an already accomplished athlete in the UFC at heavyweight? He probably has one of the best jujitsu games of all time, and that's what he did in the first fight. 
Yep. That's what he did in the first fight. He finished him by a knee bar. A knee bar is so rare, and Lesnar got caught in it. He probably had no idea what that even the word for it was even. He was like, "What the hell is a knee bar?" Like, and he just had to tap out to it, just because he was so new at the time. Second fight was awesome as well. The rivalry got even more heated. Um, Lesnar obviously was not looking great to start off. It was looking like Muir was gonna do what he did to him before, but then Lesnar found a way to get Muir hurt on the ground and then he just used those big I'm not gonna I'm putting my hand up like minor this is what probably his fist looks like Brock Lesnar so yeah he used those lunchbox hands and he just put it on Frank Mir had an awesome win got his belt and he gave a great interview at the end as well so that's my number five Dude, that is such a good pick. And it's it's really weird because it was so high profile yet it's such an underrated a series of fights in yep. the heavyweight division as well. You know, that first fight, Brock Lesnar had no idea what his, he was no. doing. His goal was to basically throw you on the ground, smash you and destroy you. Kind of what his goal always was, yeah. but on a much less lesser level. And Frank Mir took him out with a devastating knee bar. You're absolutely right. That second fight is one of the most painful finishes I've ever seen anybody have to suffer at the end yeah. of the fight. I mean, Brock Lesnar... I don't even know what object I could use to compare his hands to, but his hands are massive. They are they are like lunchbox hands. And the digs, the punches that uh, Frank Mir had to deal with at the end of that fight, I mean, that fight could have been stopped 30 seconds earlier and no one would have complained. But Brock Lesnar was just an animal in that fight. There was no beating him on that night. And an amazing, amazing sequel. I'm really glad you put that on your list, actually. Yep, absolutely. All right, I think that's going to wrap it up for today. We've got the betting show. Come, We'll post our video on Monday, betting show on Thursday. Make sure you like, subscribe, share. Anyone who does any of that, we really appreciate it. It helps us, and it keeps us going. You know, like, we're going to do episodes if we have 550, 500, 5,000 subscribers and likes. doesn't matter, but it does encourage us when we get more of those on the gonna put it like how it is so yeah we got instagram twitter actually not we got instagram youtube spotify and apple so coming to you on mondays for the podcast and then the betting show with ian and neil who started off with an absolute bang seven of eight on this big ufc card so check that out as well any last thoughts from keelan Dude, not that much. I think we've covered a lot. Probably in many ways covered too much, but yeah. we're out here. We get it done. Uh, great episode. Great debut episode. Like Tanai said, check out the betting show with Ian and Neil dropping on Thursday. The guys were seven for eight. You cannot get much better than that, mm-hmm. and not many people did. Let's be totally real here. So yeah, it's been a great episode. Covered a lot, and I'm glad that we're here. Yeah, and we're going to cover a lot. I mean, we have the freedom and we can do whatever the hell we want. So stay tuned for long episodes. Watch how much ever you want. And I think it's pretty enjoyable if you watch the entire thing. So thank you, guys. And thank you, Keelan, man. Have a good one. Thank you tonight. Thank you, everyone.